Testing, testing. Testing, one, two, three. Yeah, it looks good. What is that? Ice. That was so crunchy. Uh, yeah, so I think a lot of this is just going to be me kind of just going through this, so bear with me. Ever since I was a small boy, I've been obsessed with movies, books, and music. But as I grow older, I've begun to realize that these things increasingly miss the mark of fulfilling who we are meant to be. But they seem to have a common theme. They point us to a greater story, a greater adventure, a greater love, a greater joy. On this show, we dive into some of our favorite themes in songs, books, and movies so that we can begin the discussion of what our fascination with these stories actually reveal. A desire for something more. A desire for the unknown. A desire for love. A desire for God. Welcome to the adventure. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Christian Culture. This is Gordon. And this is Clint. And Clint, how have you been? Very, very tired. Um, so I think I told you I've been uh, trying to wake up earlier in the morning and start my day off with, with prayer every day, which has been fantastic, but also very exhausting because I'm switching my sleep schedule. Yeah. And also been spending a lot of time on this topic, too, that we're going to be covering today. Well, on today. Mm-hmm. So... How about you, now that you're done with Encounter? Good. Um, also, still just catching up on sleep. Yeah. Monday, like, yeah. I slept for a while. I thought I was, like, caught up because I felt really good on Monday. And then Tuesday, I overslept because I needed it. So, mm-hmm. it's just still trying to figure out how, when I'll be able to, like, I th- I know at this point, I, just, I just need to wake up on time myself, you know, right. the, the power minute. But um, other than that, I've been doing great. It's been really good. So both really exhausted, but we have our tea. We do. And we are tackling a very big topic tonight. So Yeah, I don't think I know how big, but it's big. Yeah, it it's big. So this is actually a book. So um, we're that's gonna, we're just gonna jump right in. Yeah. We're gonna jump right in because it, it is gonna be so uh, there's so much content to it. Yeah, we so don't want to go over. We were challenged a while ago to take on the book the kite runner Mm -hmm. which a lot of people have to read in high school i never did um, i never did either fortunately but that is a pretty common book that is i think it's like ap english a lot of the time so they'll read that Uh, so we were challenged by one of my teens grant coburn to to take on this book and i want to be honest for a while in the book i was just like i don't know what to talk about but then um in the process of me reading this book, it's, I've been working on it for probably over a, a month or so. Uh, a lot has happened, and, and it kind of became very clear to me what, uh, what we're going to be talking about. So with that, we're going to dive right in because there's a lot to talk about. So here we go. So first off, this book takes place in Afghanistan. When it first starts off, we're in like the late 70s, I think, maybe even early 80s. And the main character is a young Afghani boy named Amir. Mm-hmm. So his dad, they call him Baba. His dad's really wealthy. His mom died when he was, I think, in childbirth. So he never really got to know her. So it's just him and his dad, 
and they have like this mansion and then they have this servant that takes care of them so the servant's name is ali but he's also really good friends with his dad so they're like best friends but the servant and master relationship so it's kind of this weird dynamic because they're really good friends but one serves the other okay Uh, so that's interesting but ali also has a son um so his son's name is hassan okay so the names are are tricky but hassan i think is the one i knew yeah so hassan is ali's son so he's the son of the servant Mm -hmm. and he becomes basically best friends with the main character amir okay but there's always this weird tension because amir doesn't have a very good relationship with his father he always feels like his dad's never satisfied and he always feels like he treats hassan better than him and to him that's really weird because he's he's a servant and amir is the son um so there's always this tension and so to get back at hassan a little bit he always kind of takes advantage of him so honestly hassan is like the coolest guy ever uh he's 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 really nice like he's really really sweet um he's born with a, a cleft lip okay and amir's dad pays for the surgery to have that like taken care of and everything but he is the one that always stands up for amir to the bullies he's like makes his breakfast does his laundry like all this stuff takes care of him and even when amir like bullies him he's still like really sweet to amir and so we see that throughout the entire story um so we have kind of this interesting relationship between all of them one kind of side note baba the father doesn't like religion and so they don't really grow up practicing but ali and hassan pray all the time and so we see kind of this dynamic of this family who doesn't really practice but then we see this family who prays they're Muslims, so they pray like all the different hours of the day and everything. Uh, when the bell tolls, pray before they leave the house, pray when they get back, like all the time. So the first point that I want to bring up is one time Baba is talking to Amir about how people view Afghanistan. This is in the 80s. And so Baba says, it hurts to say that, he said shrugging, but better to get hurt by the truth than comforted by a lie. And It doesn't seem like it right here, uh, but this is kind of a big point throughout the entire book because we notice that in all of the relationships throughout the story, there's some kind of lie that's covering up something in the past. And so this is a little bit of foreshadowing, I think. Hmm. Just something to kind of keep in mind. And then after we've kind of established like all these relationships between the characters and stuff, we finally get to why... The book is called The Kite Runner. So I was really confused at first. (laughs) But apparently kite battles are a really popular activity in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And so they have these big events where they'll have like hundreds of kites and they'll just fly them. And the objective is to destroy the other people's kites. And they like have glass shards that they'll put on the string to like cut it up and everything oh wow yeah like it's intense and so they're holding this glass covered string and their hands are like all cut and bloody and stuff but they're using it to destroy the other ones 
And so there's this big celebration and Amir and Hassan are a team and like they do it every year. They're always really good, but they're never the best. Right, right. right. And so the kite runner is someone who chases down the kite when it falls. It's like a trophy. And so the first person to get to it. Their own kite or someone else's that they've destroyed? Usually someone else's. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's like if you, the goal is to get the last kite to fall. That's like the best. So the second place kite, whoever catches that, it has like the best trophy basically. And so they'll like hang it up in their house and like bragging rights. Like it's a big deal. And Hassan is the best kite runner, period. They like in the book they say he doesn't even have to look at where it is. He just like goes there and he catches it. Like that's it. Um, so he always gets it. And so there's this big holiday and those two are going and there's again this tension between Amir and his dad. And so he keeps looking over. His dad's watching from like the rooftop of their house and he really just wants to impress his dad. And so they go, they go and they eventually win like they take down all the other ones huge deal and then next thing you know hassan is chasing down that second place kite because it's such a big deal Mm -hmm. so amir starts kind of celebrating he goes back to his house his dad's like super proud of him and so he's feeling really good because like this is the first time his dad's like expressed pride right for amir yeah and so it's this kind of exciting development for him and then he realizes like hassan's not back yet he should be back with the kite so he goes out looking for him and so he goes around the city looking for him looking for him uh eventually he finds like the street vendor that's kind of uh closing up his shop for the night and he's like have, have you seen like this servant boy anywhere and the guy kind of points him down an alley and says that some other people had followed him so he goes down this alleyway to try and find Hassan. And he finds him down there surrounded by three bullies. So we actually encountered these bullies already earlier in the story. And they are the ones that Hassan stood up against. He had like a slingshot and he like threatened to mm. knock one of the guy's eyes out mm-hmm. if he attacked Amir. Mm-hmm. And so this is them coming back and getting him and they play it off as though they're trying to get the kite. Right. But really they're trying right. to get yeah. payback. So this is where it gets uh, a little dark. So if you are listening to this with children, uh, I suggest you stop and come back and listen later. Uh, Cause this book uh, is definitely for adults. <laughs> so, what happens is the bullies actually don't really beat up Hassan. They they actually rape him. So Amir sees this. He's kind of looking around the corner of a building and he sees it happen, but he doesn't do anything. He kind of just is frozen. And in the book, he looks at Hassan's eyes. And he says it looks like the eyes of a, a goat about to be slaughtered. Hmm. And... He talks about the sheep that's like Abraham sacrificed instead of Isaac. And he says this is the exact same look that he sees when they celebrate that holiday. And to him, when he walks away, he justifies it by saying this 
is the sheep that needed to be slaughtered for me so that my father could be like proud of me him justifying it so, so that he could be approved of by his father because if something bad happens to Hassan and something good happens to him winning the tournament then he thinks his dad's going to treat him better so this all happens in the first like six or seven chapters um and it gets really heavy really fast so for the next several months we see they don't really interact for a while and hassan is still doing all the chores he's still taking care of amir did hassan see amir we don't know we don't know okay we don't think so and i i'm actually going to say probably not just because of the way that he reacts over these next couple months Mm. so he still does all of his chores and everything but they don't really interact and then after a while Hassan starts reaching out to Amir and he wants to hang out like they used to. But Amir is like pushing him away and like ignoring him and treating him like really, really poorly. Throughout this whole book, Amir, like you just hate Amir, who's the main character. Right. And so this happens for months and months and he pushes away and Hassan continues to just like be really good to him and serves him no matter what. And they eventually they go for a walk to a place where they always went for a walk to. It's up a hill. There's this pomegranate tree up there. And he says that he's going to share one of his stories. He's a storyteller. He says he's going to share one of his stories with Hassan. And when they get up there, he just starts throwing pomegranates at at him to try and, like, provoke this anger. Because he wants some kind of retaliation because it like justifies his his actions towards Hassan but instead Hassan grabs a pomegranate and just crushes it on his face hmm. and says there are you satisfied are you happy now and then just walks away and so we see this relationship where to me I, I see Hassan's character as the church right so we see this pure good thing that is based on service is based on love but then we see this awful thing happen to it right and the people who have the power to do something do not Mm -hmm. Uh, so for those of you uh, who are keeping up with the news i'm sure you already know exactly where i'm going with this but we're going to talk about it anyways Mm -hmm. so in the church uh especially in the 19 60s, 70s, 80s, and early 90s, there was a lot of scandal with priests abusing children, uh, sexually, physically as well, but mostly sexually. And in 2002, this came to light. Right. And that's when we had the Dallas Charter, and pretty big steps were made, but most of those steps were protecting children from the laity, primarily. There was other stuff as well. Right. And now, in this past month, while I was reading these chapters right here, it came to light that the bishops knew about a lot more than we expected, and they continued to hide it. And there are even some more recent cases that are coming out as well. And then we have the McCarrick scandal as well. So we have this popping up, not just in the U.S., we have it in Ireland, 
in Germany. I heard Australia. All over. Chile. It, it's everywhere. And it's all coming forward. And so, is, is it this week or last week, one of these weeks, uh, the heads of all of the councils of bishops, so like Cardinal DiNardo, hmm. went to Rome to meet with Pope Francis, and they're talking about what to do. Because there's just so much scandal, there's so much hurt, and we see that happening here. Hassan being the church, these bullies being the priests that that did this same similar act, and then we have the bishops who are Amir, who looked, had the power to do something, but, but didn't. And so I guess let's go ahead and just, we'll stop there for a second. What are your thoughts like on all of that so far? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that as far as the picture you're painting along with the story, it's very self-explanatory, but I guess the other thing is that like there's, there is like a lesson to be learned in how the church should respond Mm-hmm. which is the big question here and it is in Hassan he's very much very Christ-like so I'm not saying that like in the theme we're pulling from it the bishops or what's happened is wanting like a reaction from the church I think that happens from other people mm-hmm. that might be like talking to us and like or, like you must be angry and all these things but the one scene where he's like he knows there's this brokenness Right. In Hassan. And he knows that wrong has been done. He just wants Hassan to misstep right. because of it. And so, and, and Hassan won't. And Hassan will just be like, look, I'll shame myself. I will, I'll, like, you don't have to do it. I can hit myself with a pomegranate. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I, I just, I see the pictures of the gospels of like the Pharisees being completely rude or doing like you know throwing stones at Jesus and him either doing the same thing as Hassan or just being like for those of you who have not sinned throw the first stone mm-hmm. you know just turning them and like correcting them and like look this isn't how it works and and still dying for their sins too right yeah and i think we see like that. that's what Hassan's like still even though he's hurt and he is he and Amir's not wrong in this fight there is this brokenness and there's this thing mm-hmm. to react to Hassan's like, I want to hang out with you. Like, there is this relationship between you and me that needs to happen, mm-hmm. but you need to let me. And you need, like, yeah, it's it's not a reaction; it's a conversation. And it's like this: I, I still love you, and I still want I want that relationship that you were just talking about. That mm-hmm. um, there's there's a lot of um, forgiveness because I think in this moment, Hassan realizes that Amir knows. And he still serves. He still loves. Did you have anything else before I cut you off? Sorry. No, nothing on topic. I think the only thing that like really st- stuck out was in the very beginning when you're just kind of setting setting the scene. Mm-hmm. You're talking about who the characters were and that there was this master and this servant. Mm-hmm. And just those words being used very is very scriptural. Yeah. But just the idea that you said like it was weird because they're best friends, mm-hmm. but one serves the other. I think that's very much our relationship with God. Right. Like we should be best friends, even though there is this like subservient, but it's not at the same time. And it's kind of like this Jesus Peter relationship too. Right. Where we, we see this like servant leader and 
Hassan being the Christ figure, I think it's perfect where he he serves. And whether Amir wants to admit it or not, he respects and looks up to Hassan. And you, you hear that in the way that he talks about him and later on in the story, for sure. Bringing that up, it makes me think of, as we're recording this, it would be this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. When this comes out, I think it'll be two Sundays from now. But we just had the reading where Jesus explains to his disciples what's going to happen to him. Yeah. And Peter's like, that can't happen. That's not going to happen. And in the reading we get from the Sunday, he doesn't say everything that I remember from one of the other Gospels, but he says, you know, stand behind me, Satan. And one of the other Gospels, he says, you are becoming like an obstacle to me. Stop thinking as humans do. And in that moment, I kind of like realized when I prayed with that before that like what Jesus was saying was like, I love you and I want you to be a part of this story. But if you're going to act this way, I'm leaving you right here. Like he would have left Peter, still died for his sins, like you said, but someone else would have gotten the keys. Mm-hmm. He's like, you are becoming more of an obstacle than a help. And I, I don't need obstacles in my pathway. And I, I think that kind of plays into the bigger, you know, tougher topic that we're talking on is like, there's still this love and this dying for and this understanding that we need for everything that's going on. But we need to also like become aware of what the obstacles are and like where the problems are and get rid of that. Not get rid of that with like hatred or like get rid of that and like never look back at it again, but just like clean it out and still have this like Christian love for everything that's going on. The way that Hassan wants to clean it out and have the conversation. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And we'll go ahead and just dive into this, this next part here. So this, this part's really sad. Um, so Amir's birthday comes up and he gets all these crazy presents. They have this massive party. They invite like all the rich people from town, including that bully and his family. And so we see him come forward, smiling, knowing that, that, uh, Amir knows what's going on and, like enjoying that in the moment as, as they, they talk. And what happens is Amir actually frames Hassan for stealing like his gifts. He hides it in Hassan's bed, including some money and stuff. And then like gets him caught. Yeah. And so what happens is when Hassan and Ali come home, Amir and Baba approach them and say like what's going on here like we need to get this figured out and so Hassan and Ali go to their shack where they live just outside of the house and they go and like talk about it they find the things the items and they're they're there for a while longer than they expected and eventually they come into the house and Hassan admits to it he's still protecting Amir and then even more than that we realize that in this moment, there's some, some words that are said. I don't remember exactly what they were, but Ali knows now, I think in that while they're in the cottage, they kind of discussed what was going on and Hassan explained everything to Ali. But Ali knows that Amir knows what happened and they find out in that moment. And so Ali says, we're leaving. And even though Baba forgives him, uh, th- they're leaving, and so they do. So we see this separation, and they don't see each other again for a very long time, actually, ever. Spoiler mm. alert. 
And so five years later, Russia is now controlling Afghanistan. Okay. We flash forward to the next chapter. They're getting smuggled out of Pakistan. They go through all of this stuff. Smuggled to Pakistan, sorry. So they're leaving Afghanistan, going through all these Russian customs. There's a lot that goes on in there, but I don't think it's exactly stuff that's on topic. So we're going to go and cut that out. You can read it yourself. But one thing that we do see in this theme while they're traveling to Pakistan is more of this kind of atheism of Baba. Mm. And so I I wonder if there's some kind of relationship there to where with Amir as kind of our our clergy and and our bishops trying to impress some kind of outside source that's not really religious. I wonder if there's something there. I I don't know. Uh, But maybe that's something we can think on too. So they move eventually to... United States. They go to California. Baba struggles to adapt because it's just so different. And he starts working at a like gas station. Hmm. So he goes from this really wealthy man that everyone knew in Afghanistan, in the city where they grew up, to working at a gas station. They barely make it by. And on the weekends, they go to like garage sales and then buy a bunch of stuff really cheap and then go resell it somewhere else so they have like some spending money and apparently that's what all the afghani immigrants do so they kind of like get in this community where they, where they do that there was this quote during that time where it's talking about how they handled their transition and so it says this from amir's perspective for me america was a place to bury my memories for Baba, a place to mourn his. And so we see this where he's just trying to cover up all this darkness, all of his mistakes, all of his sins, and everything that happened. Um, and this is kind of a recurring theme throughout his teenage years, throughout his 20s, and even into his 30s and 40s throughout this this book. So, um, And then a few pages later, he says again, America was different. America was a river roaring along, unmindful of the past. I could wade into this river, let my sins drown to the bottom, let the waters carry me someplace far, someplace with no ghosts, no memories, no sins. And so we see this trying to use America as this escape where he can just run away from all of his problems. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward again and we find out Baba has cancer. Uh, All this is going on while he's trying to date this girl secretly and everything and eventually they have this scare where baba doesn't want to go to the hospital he just doesn't and so they find out he has cancer and he eventually has to go in because he just like has a heart attack or something and they realize it's it's basically the end right um and so once they get baba to a place where he can actually stand up and like leave the hospital he asks Baba to propose to the girl because that's apparently Afghani tradition. And so they do, they skip the engagement and they get married like right there. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. So it all happens like within a couple weeks, maybe. Right. So it's really, really fast. And they were, he was kind of confused as to why she wasn't married already being like that age. And, he knew that there was some kind of like scandal there. And so when they get engaged, she's like, before we get married, I I need to tell you this. I need to come clean. And so she says that when she was younger, she had run away 
from her family with a guy and he was like a drug addict and they got into some bad stuff and they like they they lived together and like all that stuff and she just wanted to come clean and Amir's thought is well how can I not forgive her when there's all these things that I had done and so he has this opportunity where he wants to tell her Mm -hmm. and he doesn't and he keeps it inside and kind of acts like everything's fine uh and so the father passes away they get married and they kind of just go on with their life for a long time and these next couple chapters kind of just skip forward and he becomes an author pretty successful actually as far as like uh afghanistan literature goes but he they do pretty pretty well and pretty soon he gets a call from his dad's friend rahim khan who they had been friends back in afghanistan really all he says is that he's sick and that he wants amir to come visit him and he says come there is a way to be good again so in that moment he knows that rahim khan knows everything that happened too and so um they've been struggling with infertility this whole time and despite all of that and all the situations going on in their life he flies to afghanistan so he meets with raheem khan he finds out everything that had been going on the taliban had come in taken over destroyed everything and he also finds out that what happened with amir Hassan with Hassan. Mm-hmm. Sorry, so many names. So basically, what happened is when they left Afghanistan, Rahim Khan took over their house and was like watching it for them. And eventually, he got bored and was like alone and old and starting to like get sick. So he went and sought out Ali and Hassan, and he found them eventually. But Ali had like just died from uh, stepping on a, a landmine. Mm. And so he finds Hassan, who's now married and pregnant with their son. And he convinces them to come back and live with him in the mansion and kind of take care of things like like old times. And they do. And then eventually one day this woman comes and like just pounds on the door. And they realize it was Hassan's mother who had run away like right when he was born. She just like ran off with a bunch of like musicians or something. So they have this son, they grow up, everything's kind of happy for a while. And the Taliban come in. And as soon as the Taliban take over, they murder all of the people of their race. They're like a separate race. Mm -hmm. And they just kill them all. They go door to door. And so Hassan and his wife were shot in the street. And that's kind of where the end of his story lies, but the child was brought to an orphanage. And so what Raheem Khan wants is for Amir to go get him, rescue him, and like bring him back to Pakistan where he can at least be safe. And he tells him there's this American couple that has an orphanage and they'll look over him there. Just skipping over some stuff here. Before he agrees to go, he kind of refuses. And Raheem Khan says... A boy who won't stand up for himself becomes a man who won't stand up for anything. And he kind of gets this flashback back to his father who like always stood up for what was right. Mm -hmm. And uh, even to the point of like where he was being threatened and still stood up for what was right. We find out in this moment that Ali was infertile 
Raheem Khan tells him that. And so he's like, well, where did Hassan come from then? Right. And we find out that it was Baba was the father, and they had hidden it this whole time. They were brothers. They were brothers, so half-brothers. Spoilers. Yeah. So because of that, he now knows that this kid is his nephew. Mm. And so he feels obliged to, like, go. And so he, like, he has this, like, transformation moment where he realizes he needs to step up and be the man that Baba had always wanted. And so they go, they find this driver, and they're going through all these checkpoints and everything, the same checkpoints that he had gone through, like, 20 years before, 15 years before. At one point, he says, I wish Raheem Khan hadn't called me. I wish he had let me live on in my oblivion but he had called me and what Raheem Khan revealed to me changed things made me see how my entire life had been a cycle of lies betrayals and secrets and I think this is kind of like our our call from Christ sometimes we want to just keep living on in ignorance and not know what's true because that's easier and it, and right. it feels good whatever but when he does call us it changes everything and the life that we lived before is kind of like exposed and this life of lies and, and hurt kind of comes forth and exposed for what it was. So skipping over some stuff, uh, he meets with the driver's family and all this stuff, but eventually he gets to the city, Kabul. Skip over some other stuff, <laughs> sorry. They get to the orphanage. Okay. And by the time they're there, they meet with the director. He has to convince him that he is who he is and not some Taliban guy trying to sneak in, but they get in and the director says that the boy, uh, his name is uh, Sarab, is no longer there. The reason why is because once a month, a Taliban official comes and demands one of the children. And if he doesn't give them the child, then he takes 10 children instead. Hmm. And so the month before, Sarab was the one that was demanded. Is that like for the Taliban? So what he says, he says it's usually a young girl, but sometimes it's a young boy. And so from that, we kind of infer yeah. uh, what it's for. And so he tells them where to find this man. He says he's going to be at the soccer stadium tomorrow, uh, which seems kind of weird. But he just says the man with the sunglasses. And that's supposed to, like, tell you. And so they go to the, to the game the next day. And at halftime, the Taliban drives out in all these trucks. And they throw two people off the trucks into these holes that they had dug on the field. And they're, like, this guy steps out with sunglasses. And you know it's him right away. And he says, these people were caught in adultery. And for their sins, they will be punished. And they shoot them. Uh, no, they don't shoot them. They stone them to death Okay. in these holes. And then they throw what's left of their bodies back in the trucks, take them out, and then continue the game like nothing happened. And so while they're watching the second half, Amir sends like a messenger to reach out to, like a Taliban messenger to reach out to this official and say that they want to meet. So they arrange the meeting for later that day. And later... They drive up to this guy's house. They get in. When they're there, the guy's wearing the same outfit, covered in blood, and it's like shows that he kind of like enjoys it. And you get that from his conversation. And 
he talks about how much he enjoyed like all these massacres that he had done killing like Hassan's people. And when Amir asks for Sarab, he keeps calling him my boy and he summons him into the room and he walks in wearing this like monkey outfit with like bells and stuff. And they continue talking and then the man, he takes off his turban and it's revealed who he is. It was the bully Mm. from the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. And they both know very well what's going on. And so what happens is the bully, his name is Asaf, says we need to finish what should have been finished a long time ago. And so they arrange a fight to the death. And he sends his like Taliban guards out into the hallway and he says, if he wins, he gets the boy and they go away. You don't stop them. If I win, whatever. Um, and so they do and they fight. And because Amir was a spoiled brat his whole life and Asaf is this trained warrior, Amir gets clobbered. And we find out later he's got like seven broken bones. His eye socket's broken. His nose is broken. Like everything's destroyed. His insides were ruptured. But what happens is Hassan was fantastic with a slingshot. And that's how he protected him when he was younger, saying he was going to knock out this guy's eye. Right. And he taught that to Sarab. So Sarab shoots a marble into this bully's Asaf's eyeball and kind of fulfills what his dad, Hassan, had prophesied or whatever, like before. And they win because of that. And so they escape. They go back to Pakistan. He basically passes out for the whole drive back and everything. And he's stuck over there trying to like get healed and everything. But over the, the next couple months of healing, there's also kind of this spiritual healing where Sarab really doesn't talk. He doesn't really open up. Um, and one night, finally, they, they talk. And he says, I'm so dirty. I'm so full of sin. And he blames himself for everything that had happened. So we see kind of this victim mentality. Right. Um, and then immediately after that, he decides that, well, he realizes that those American couple who was going to run the orphanage, they didn't exist. Raheem Khan made them up so that he would be convinced to go get him. And so he decides he's going to adopt him or try to. So there's all of these issues with trying to adopt him and there's a lot that goes on but I feel like we're running over on time so I'm going to kind of skip most of the ending but what we see here for the next couple chapters is this pain this pain in Sarab where he he never is fully healed at one point he does try to commit suicide because of everything that happened and we see this pain of the victim but in the moment where he decides to adopt Sarab. He calls his wife back in the USA. It was like the first time they had talked in a month because he had been trapped uh, in Taliban control. And he finally tells her everything. And he just, he opens up. And he says, I did what I hadn't done in 15 years of marriage. I told my wife everything. Everything. I had pictured this moment so many times. I dreaded it. But as I spoke, I felt something lifted off my chest and so we see this moment of healing for him too and i think that's all i want to talk about with the book but 
with that in mind and knowing kind of where we tied in with the beginning, what do you think? Well, we got a lot. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I've just been going. No, so it's much good. Stuff. I was just trying to remind myself everything as you were talking to make sure I didn't forget. With a theme kind of what you wanted to like touch on and pull out, I think the biggest thing is, well, it's kind of two things. It's like in the end we get this victim picture, which reminds me of last week when we talked about Big Fish and Spectre and mm-hmm. how when he was leaving Spectre, something that was too good, and she's like, what are you going to do walk without your shoes on? And it was just like, I'm spec's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. But for this, for Sarab and other victims, you know, with what we're talking about, it's like you're not in Spectre. You're in the exact opposite. You're in the worst. Like the bottoms of your feet have been like skinned off. And it hurts to walk at all. Whether that means walking away which is not what we want or walking forward, keep moving like we, like our message was last week to keep moving mm-hmm. or to walk away, but it hurts to walk. Um, and our job is to kind of like go down to them, to the lowly like Jesus would and help carry them. Um, but another thing I keep seeing is just how this response, how do we respond to what's going on? Right. And one thing I kind of loved is how everything changed when Amir realized they were related in some way. And I think that's where we can be blinded and like our spiritual family. We are brothers and sisters, regardless of anything. We are like, we're like, like that. We're not, there shouldn't be separation. And we're also related in the fact that we all sin. Like maybe we don't have those sins, but we all have sins and we all have mortal sins. Yeah. And so we and that we should be just reminding ourselves of those relations, like the fact that we are created as brothers and sisters and the fact that we are all sinful in our own way. And then going back to the that one picture where he's being pom- like being pelted with a pomegranate, it's like, how do we react? It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to not know what you feel and not feel anything. But there's a chance, there's like, these opportunities to react and there's opportunities to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think reacting out of those emotions won't help anything necessarily. I think we need to start having a conversation, but I think we need to like another thing is this picture of Amir not talking about what he's dealing with and it's killing him. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea that the conversation has to happen. And I think that might be a good challenge. It's just like we need, even if it's with just someone that you can tell anything to, not like I didn't have the conversation for a while with people because I felt like I didn't know enough to talk about it. But I'm not saying like state your stance on social media or go and like share it with other people. I just mean like talking about how you feel, right? talking about what, you don't know or do know or and just getting it out and doing that without hatred right i feel like the way that's been done a lot in the past couple weeks has has really been just enmity towards the clergy Mm -hmm. which i i I understand your anger in, in those circumstances but is we need to be angry at the situation not at the people we're called to love the people um and above all love the church 
I, I think something that was said at Encounter really stood out to me. We as the body of Christ, we are, we are the church. We can't be separated from our head, which is Jesus. Right. right? When, when we do that, we become this decapitated body. Cadaver. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we need that. And at the same time, uh, I think it was actually the same talk, they were talking about how we all want to be the body of Christ. We all talk about that. But what we don't talk about is how that body suffered. It suffered on a cross. It was beaten. It was broken. And that's what's happening to the church right now. We're being beaten. We're being broken. But what happens after the crucifixion? We, we become back to life again. We're resurrected. Yeah. And so we need to embrace this. We need to address this. We need to talk about it. Because if we, if we don't talk about it, then nothing is done. That doesn't mean pushing an agenda. It doesn't mean being hatred or whatever else. Right. We need to address it with this happened. We need to acknowledge that it happened. And we need to go from there with love. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the only way to... Because all we need to do is ultimately prayer and fasting. That is the response we need to have. But doing that if you feel angry, and I've felt angry, mm-hmm. doing that if you feel sad or even scared i i feel immense fear that doesn't get rid of anger fear or sadness praying and fasting that helps that's what we need how do we need to react so having this conversation helps those emotions help Mm -hmm. helps them being vented it's like any painful situation you've been in yeah and there's there's been a lot of comments that prayer and fasting isn't enough anymore and I think, I think it'd be good to address that, too. First off, prayer and fasting is very powerful. Extremely. Uh, I think we take that for granted. And I understand we want action. And that's great. And I think th- th- there should be action. But what we're saying is not that we need to cut out all action and there should be no repercussions. What we're saying is that those repercussions need to be led with love and not fear and anger right right uh and so i i think that's kind of the big takeaway with that because we all want something to be done Uh, i think it would be impossible to say that uh, people don't want anything to change that would be foolish um but we need to do with with love yeah uh anything else you got there i think that's that's all i got thanks for for uh, joining us on the adventure. I know this is some pretty heavy stuff, but it's, it's really real. And I think if it we is. are like Amir and we don't address it, it, then it could be 15 years later, just like him, or I guess, no way. It was actually f- 15 or 16 years from the last time this mm-hmm. was addressed. It's crazy. Um, it could be another 15 years and we're still hurting and we're still broken. Uh, so we need to be open, we need to be honest, and we need to have that conversation. So I think our challenge is to to do that, like Gordon was saying. I do want to do one quick shout-out to Grant uh, for suggesting this book. Like I said, I was a little skeptical at first, but uh, God always reveals why things happen in his time. So it turned out to be, I think, very, very helpful for me personally and spiritually, and I hope it was for you guys too. So, go ahead and take it home. 
thank us uh thank you guys for joining us on the adventure and we'll see you next week thanks guys